Life is so strange. How many of you have figured that out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, last week we started looking at the book of Acts and the stranger things that took place when the Holy Spirit first arrived. And as followers of Jesus Christ, they, they began experiencing all these strange things like the violent wind and the descending fire from the sky and uh, they suddenly had the supernatural ability to speak multiple languages, languages they didn't even know. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, last week we talked about Peter who had never preached a sermon in his life, delivers his first message and tells about Jesus Christ. And it's such a powerful message that 3,000 people accept Christ as their Savior and they were baptized that day. You know, these uh, devoted followers then organized the first church that was in Jerusalem. And they uh, began encouraging one another and comforting and caring for one another. And they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ uh, about God's love for the world with with the people around them. And so their numbers grew daily. And it, it was an absolutely amazing thing. And I think it's very appropriate if you read the latter part of chapter 2. It says this, it says many miracles and wonders were being done through the apostles and everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up today in chapter 3. Peter and John are, are going to temple. They're going to have prayer. It's prayer time. It's about 3 in the afternoon. And there's this man that's at the the gate. He's been unable to walk his entire life. And he's sitting by the gate called Beautiful. And so we know it's right outside the temple. And he's there begging for money. And in that day, there was no safety net that was available for people with disabilities. And so when, when he asks Peter and John for money, Peter says, look at us. And I'm going to guess that that guy was expecting to receive some cash at that point. And it says this, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. It wasn't what the guy expected, but I, I love the response. It says, he, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Walking and leaping. That's how I learned it as a kid. Walking and leaping and praising God. You talk about a wonderful moment. It was one of those yay God moments. The the Holy Spirit had shown up on the day of Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit had just got started, and now we got the Holy Spirit that brings about this dramatic healing. You know, so this guy, he can't contain himself. He's going into the temple, and he's celebrating. He's jumping for joy. I, I imagine he, he was so, just could not contain it. And so he's praising God for that miracle. And every time I read uh, about a miracle in the Bible, it raises for me a lot of questions. I mean, why does it seem like in the early church that you have all these healings going on and yet in the church today, not so much. Yeah, anybody ever wonder about that? I mean, I, I have mo- most of my life. 
You know, I read about the, these supernatural things that, that are happening, and, and I think, why did it happen back then? You know, and not, not so much today. Why do, why do we have people that actually had died that are resurrected and brought back to life? You got people that were blind that suddenly they're able to see. People that, that were unable to walk that all of a sudden are walking and leaping and praising God. Now, I'm going to back up a few years, uh, quite a bit of years. I, I was pastoring in Springfield at the time. And I was talking to a friend of mine. And we were uh, clearing the chairs off the the basketball court so that we could play. And we're putting them in a closet. And what you need to know is this friend of mine is not a person of faith. He, by his own admission, he said, I'm agnostic. And so we're putting away these chairs in the closet. And we had four, maybe five, there might have been a few more than that. But we had wheelchairs that were in the closet. And he goes, why all the wheelchairs? And I said, well, in case we have someone visiting that, that needs one, we, we can pull it out and, and we've got it. And so he didn't really say anything at the time, but that evening we finished playing basketball, and so now we're dragging all the chairs out of the closet and putting them back on the court. And uh, he, he says to me, he says, you know, if, if there was a God, and I love this part because he goes, and if you were doing your job, you wouldn't need those. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, point taken. And so we finished putting the chairs down and we're heading to the car. And I said, you want to hear my bent on the whole healing thing? And I could tell his body language told me, no, I want to get in my car and go home. But I gave him my bent anyway. And so I shared with him, I said, you know, the Bible teaches that we will all be healed when we get to heaven that every Christ follower is going to get a brand new body, and it's going to be a body that's perfect. It will never wear out. And then I shared with him, I said, you know, the body by design has the ability to to heal itself, you know, to repair an injury or to fence off a, a disease or to restore itself. And so that is a supernatural God-given ability. And I could tell that kind of registered with him a little bit. But I I said, you know, God has raised up some brilliant minds in this world. And he's given them the ability to make incredible advancements in in medicine and technology and pharmacology and those type of things. I said, years ago, people would have died. But now they they take a pill And they're restored in a a few days. They're back at it. And I said, so actually, God has been working and doing a lot to bring about healing in people's lives. But then I I said to him, "I, I have to confess to you that I do not understand why one person prays for healing and they're healed. And another person prays the same prayer and they're not healed. I said, I've read, I've studied, I I have attempted to understand that, and I absolutely do not have an answer. To which he said, I probably shouldn't have brought up the wheelchair thing, right? And I said, no, you shouldn't have, (laughs) you know. That's always stuck with me. Because here's what I know, some of you, 
are dealing with some serious health issues. Some of you have a lot of difficulties. You deal with like extra levels of pain. You know, maybe facing a, a physical or emotional struggle. And it may even seem overwhelming. And I want you to know if that's where you are today, there, there's a couple things I, w- I want to say to you. You know, the first thing I suggest to people that are going through whatever is that you pray. You pray and you ask God to supernaturally heal you. You, you get with other Christians and you pray. And I, I know just from talking to people through the years, people will they'll say, yeah, pray for me, but God's not going to heal me. And, you know, why would God do that? And, and so they kind of deflect it a little bit. And I will always say, you know, we have not because we ask not. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know till you ask. Uh, people catch me a lot of times after service or I'll run into them in the store or, you know, out in the community somewhere. And they'll tell me about like a physical crisis in their life or an emotional struggle that they're going through. And they'll say something to the extent, hey, keep me in your prayers. And, and you know, if you've ever said that to me, I immediately say, I'd like to pray for you right now. Is that okay? And the reason why I ask, is it okay? Because many times we're out in the commons or we're in the middle of a store in an aisle or out in front of a store or whatever, and so I don't want to embarrass someone. But I'll say, can, can I pray for you? And they'll go, sure. And I go, how do you want me to pray? And many times they're kind of like, um, I, I don't know. And I go, okay, let me ask it this way. What is it you want? And many times they'll say, I want to be healed. And so we do the Philippians 6, 4, 6 thing. You know, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so we pray together. Pray together that God will heal them. Now, I do not know God's plan for that person. I don't know that. But I simply obey that scripture because that's what I do know, and I make that request known to God. And then I will usually follow up and say, you know, we're going to continue praying for this and, and petitioning God, but can I ask you, are you seeking the best medical advice you can? Because sometimes God brings healing through other people, through other avenues. You know, and that's one of those where I may see someone a few months later or it may be years later sometimes. And they'll, they'll say something to the extent, you know, I've been going through this treatment, I've been going through this therapy, and, and I'm still struggling. And I can tell, usually at that point, just countenance that they're discouraged. And it's just that sense, I'm not getting better. And so I will talk with them and pray with them again. And I remind them, because there is power in knowing that one day, one day, we will be completely healed. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more problems, no, no more limitations in life. But that may not be in this life. It may be an eternity. And so I encourage them to hold on to that as a a hope in in their life. You know, Scripture says word traveled really fast. This guy got healed. People start showing up. They want to get a peek at this guy. 
They want to see him. And they want to see this guy that they've heard is now jumping and doing cartwheels and dancing and having fun. And it creates so much commotion. The crowds got so big that people almost rioted. And so Peter and John end up getting arrested in that moment. And they're brought before the religious leaders of that day. And they're questioning them. They're like, who healed this man? By whose power did you heal him? And the crowd that was gathered, they're listening to this kind of inquisition that's going on. They're listening to and watching the proceedings. And so John and, and Peter, they're, they're answering the questions. But then Peter, who's fired up, you remember he preached his first sermon just a few days before that. He decides, because the Holy Spirit's prompting him, and he decides he's going to start speaking again. And so Peter preaches his second message, and Scripture says their numbers grew to 5,000 at that point. See, Peter, he states the full context of who Jesus is to, to this crowd. In fact, that message that he delivered would not only be conversation in that day and controversy in that day, it would be for the next 2,000 years. You know, he says this in his message, only Jesus has the power to save. His name is the only one in all the world that can save anyone. See, not all roads lead to God. Now, I want to be careful. This verse does not potshot other religions. Other religions, I I will say to you, have some good ideas. They teach morals most of the time. They have codes of conduct that I go, yeah, that's a good thing. But salvation is only found in Jesus. Only Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that about himself. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a consistent message throughout the New Testament. You know, it's one door, it's one gate, it's one path, it's one way, it's one cross, it's one Savior, and it's Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ that anyone and everyone can be saved. But it's through Jesus. And I know as I say that, some of you right now, you're you're thinking, whoa, 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 that doesn't sound politically correct. That, That sounds socially insensitive. That, that sounds exclusive. And I will tell you, however you feel about it, it was equally as jarring in that day. In fact, so much so, Peter and John are arrested and they're thrown in prison for preaching. The, the officials start trying to intimidate them. They want to stop them from speaking and talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus' power to save and to quit talking about this Holy Spirit that showed up. They, They order them. They say, quit. You stop right now. No more teaching. No more preaching about Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot. I love this. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. You can put us in prison. You can threaten to kill us. We will not be silent. Jesus changed our life 
He's savior of the world, and we're going to share it with the world. We will continue preaching about Jesus Christ. See, the Holy Spirit in that moment, in the midst of that intimidation, gives John and Peter this supernatural boldness. How many of you have ever felt God prompting you to do something that you thought was a little risky? Yeah? A little uncomfortable? You know, God asked you to do something that was out of your comfort zone. Maybe God asked you to, to do something that you felt like, wow, that's, that's out there. What did you do? See, low devotion when it comes to following Jesus Christ is low on the risk scale. You're just not willing to take very many risks. We, we, we tend to, to cave, to, to back away from the challenge. Oh, oh that, that's, that's too risky. What are, what are people going to think if I do that? That, that? that might cost me too much. It's just asking too much, God. But fully devoted followers, when God prompts with his Holy Spirit, they step up and they step out. And they go forward going, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. I only have one life. I have no clue where this is going. I don't know what the ultimate destination is going to be, but I'm going to trust you, God. And friends, when you do that, I guarantee you, in that moment, this is where the supernatural happens, you begin to have boldness and courage to face whatever it is that you got to do or say or whatever. I, I, I've experienced it in my life. I have seen it in other people's lives. And it is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Christ followers. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, whispers in your ear, will you obey? That's the question. You know, maybe God's asking you to, to start something. Maybe God's pressing you to share your faith with somebody. You know, maybe God's Spirit's pressing you to, to stop drinking or, or to get into a program. Maybe God's pressing you to, to say no to something that's taking you away from Him. And inside... You're, you're stirred up. You're not sure. You're, you're, it's like, wow, that's a lot. And it's just a question. Will you obey God in that moment? Because if you do, if you have the courage, what happens is you get more courage. God begins to infuse you through the Holy Spirit to give you the power and the strength and the courage to face whatever you have to face. So far in our scriptures, the Holy Spirit's been pretty active in, in the book of Acts. We, we've seen the Holy Spirit give people the supernatural ability to share their faith. They were even able to share across language barriers all, all of a sudden. We, we've seen people have this deep level of devotion that allowed them to do things that wasn't natural or they, they, to go against their own instinct and do what was right to love and care for one another. And we see this week the Holy Spirit healing the human body. And suddenly the, the believers have this boldness to, to share and to step against culture. 
And now we're going to see the Holy Spirit in even stranger ways. It says all the believers were one in heart and mind. Remember that. We'll come back to that. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful and at work in them, all that were there, there were no needy persons among them. I get stuck right there. No needy persons. God's Spirit in the early church, His Holy Spirit moved to the point that there were no needy. There were a lot of them, 5,000 of them. It's hard to kind of get your mind around that, that, that kind of care that was happening, that kind of love, that, that kind of sacrifice. You know, the, the fact is, if you read on, and I'd encourage you to read it as part of your devotions there in chapter 3, but people began selling land and selling their homes, and they're bringing the money to the, to the church, laying it at the disciples' feet, Scripture says. And I think, who does that kind of stuff? It's crazy. That's strange. Well, friends, followers of Jesus Christ that are inspired by the Holy Spirit do that kind of stuff. You know, people are inspired and they feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so they're looking around and people that had more look around. They see people that are struggling and instead of turning away, no, they don't do that. The Holy Spirit moves them into action. And something supernatural breaks out in the church. It's an amazing thing. And so people, people are selling off stuff so that they can help people. And the church is vetting people and making sure they're able to help and not create uh, just a dependency. And till there were no needy people around them. See, spirit-led, totally voluntary, totally joyful, no government involved, no higher taxes involved. It was just a beautiful thing that was happening in God's church. You know, God's economic plan for the church is a, is a beautiful thing. You know, it's foundational. And that you know, you've heard me talk about tithing before. You know, Scripture says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first part of your harvest. Then your barns will be full of grain and your barrel will, will overflow with wine. See, the church, the church just supernaturally began moving and doing things that, that went against people. Go, Who, why are these people doing this? You know, they're, they're bringing the first part, the, the, the tenth to the, the church, and they're going, take care of people. Take care of the ministry. Make sure nobody's hurt. Make sure nobody's struggling. Make sure the, the gospel's getting preached. And it's this great promise, and yet many look and go, whoa, that's risky stuff. That's risky stuff. And I've shared this, shared this kind of thing before, but you take two Christians, and they've been, let's say they've been in the faith the same amount of time. And so one, one goes, okay, you know, I make X amount of money, and I, I got to live on that 100% because I can't make it through the month without it, and so I, I can't trust God. And you got another one going, you know, I, I believe God here. 
I believe I'm going to give back to God what, what belongs to God. I'm going to help, help the church move forward. And so they're, they're, going, they're kind of processing this. You know, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that actually I'll end up better off. You know, and I, I've talked about that you end up in that better position, you know, that place of blessing, the, the place of favor in, in life. 30 years of ministry plus, and I've seen it work over and over in people's lives, and people talk about blessings in their life and answered prayers and favor and protection, and they'll, they'll celebrate things and go, I was part of that. They'll talk about the, their friendships and just unexpected things that happen. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle. What, what is, and here's the funny thing. Those two Christians look at each other, and they think the other one's an idiot. Both of them do. You know, the one has smaller faith and goes, ah, I, don't, I don't think. They'll be like, are you kidding me? You have lost your mind. If you think you're going to be in a better position, I've done the math. It doesn't work out. You're an idiot. The other one will go, are you kidding me? You, you've lost your mind. You know, you, you think that you're going to make it through the month, and you probably will, but you're not going to experience the supernatural part. You're not going to experience the abundance part in, in your life. And so here's my question. Which idiot do you want to be? You know, which Christian do you want to be? And it really is a serious question. The early church, I mean, they, they were on fire in this area. They're inspired, and they're giving, and they're doing, and they're reaching, and people are getting prompted, and then it gets even crazier, because not only are they, they bring, bring in the first fruits, they start going, you know what, I've got an extra place, I've got this, I've got this, I'm going to sell this stuff, and we're going we're gonna to leverage in. And so they're selling land, and they're selling property, and they're making a difference in, in people's lives. And no, nobody's holding them hostage. The Holy Spirit just prompts, and they're responding. And things begin changing. Community's talking. Friends, when God's church gets on board and the Holy Spirit gets involved, and people start giving and doing and lay, laying the tithe and then going, you know what, I'm looking around me, I see some things that need addressed, and they start leveraging in and that, things begin to change in the church. People are served in the church and in the community. The poor are cared for the way that they need to be cared for, and ministries are strengthened, and ministries are started, and lives are changed. That's what the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit does when God's people go, okay, I'm listening. I'm paying attention, God. What is it you have for me? And then it creates this unity. That's the part we're coming back to here. These followers, it says all the believers were what? One in heart and mind. One in heart and mind. The early church, you got Jews. You got Gentiles. 
You got people of different ethnicities. According to the book of Acts, if you read chapter 2, they spoke 15 different languages in that church. Can you imagine? It was a diverse group of people. And they were together, one in heart, one in mind. It's one of the things I celebrate about this church. We have people all kinds of different... In fact, look around you for a minute. Just look around you. Don't stare. We have conservatives here. We have liberals. We have millionaires. We have people that are struggling. We have people of different races and different ethnicities. We have Democrats and Republicans. Oh, no. We have Cardinal fans and (laughs) Cub fans and one or two Pirate fans around here. (laughs) One church, one heart, one mind. Friends, it is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that can make that kind of thing happen. I mean, unity, it's a supernatural gift from God. You know, when people that are way different, and some of you are different, I hate to tell you, but you're really different, but can come together. I I think it's a beautiful thing. People bound together. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, the Holy Spirit can do that in your marriage when there's discord can do it when there's division between a parent and a child. can do it when a friendship maybe has gone bad. The Holy Spirit works and allows people to find that unity again. I mean, it's led many of you to give your life to Jesus Christ at some point because you realize things weren't right between you and God. It's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, and so... You give your life, and you take that step. And in fact, we have people going to do that today. You know, they're, they're, we're going to celebrate with them. Because they took that step. They said, you know what, Lord, I'm making you my Lord and Savior. And now I'm going to follow in, in obedience, baptism. You know, that moment when you admit, you know what, I'm, I've sinned. God, I need forgiveness I accept what Jesus Christ did for me. I want to make him Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. And from that moment, the Holy Spirit not only is working in your life, but he's dwelling in you. In fact, he'll dwell with you until you take your last breath and enter eternity. Spend spend it with God. And part of being fully devoted to God is cooperating with, with the Holy Spirit, no matter what the Holy Spirit taps you for. You know, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to influence your decision-making. That whole process, allowing the Holy Spirit to change you, to guide you, to use you. In fact, some of you this past week, God used you to touch someone else's life, to share your faith. And when the Holy Spirit prompts you 
to say something, do something, to step up in obedience, to, to step up despite your fears, your frustrations in life. The Holy Spirit, when you take that step, fills you with that boldness and the power to see it through. And as strange as it seems, and the Holy Spirit's a strange thing, the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in every single area of your life, every single area. And you may go, well, why? Because if the Holy Spirit is involved in every area of your life, the Holy Spirit can help you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We're going to have prayer, and then we're going to talk for a minute. Our holy God, God, I just uh, pray that your spirit, I mean, it's present here, Lord. God, there are things that uh, you've been trying to nudge, maybe get us to share our faith with somebody at work or to reach out and help a neighbor or step back from something that's destroying, that's tearing us apart, tearing our families apart. God, whatever it is, God, I pray that uh, we'd be just obedient. There may be fear, reluctance, that we just trust you, Lord. God, I thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for the times that you've stepped in and kept me from doing something just brainless, stupid. I thank you for the times that you've given me the words when I wasn't sure what to say. God, I thank you for your supernatural power that you've released in so many people's lives here. Sometimes we try and shrug it off as something else, but God, it was you. It was you. God, I pray you'd open our hearts, our minds, that we would just be obedient. We'd just follow you no matter what. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Those being baptized today, would you stand up for a moment? I want to pray for you, and then we're going to release you so you can go and uh, get changed. And um, I hope this is a day you always remember. I mean, it was years ago, years ago, decades ago for me. But that's kind of etched in my mind. I know God's got big plans for you. I know God's been working, that uh, he's been working for some time in you. And let's, just, let's just pray for these individuals right now. God, you see the people standing here. Oh, what a day of celebration. God, we thank you for each of their lives. We thank you for the wonderful way you created. We look, look forward, Lord, to continuing to see what you're going to do in and through them. God, we uh, just thank you for this day. We thank you for the reminder that it would uh, encourage all of us that have taken that step of faith in the past that, God, it might spur someone to take that step today. God, we thank you for these individuals and God, we give you the glory this day. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. You may go ahead, just uh, head out. A um, couple instructions for, for us. Uh, those of, 
parents, if you have kids that are in the zone, if your children are in first through fifth grade and they're in the zone, you do not need to pick them up. They will be out front uh, on, the, on the patio uh, where we're having baptism. If uh, you have children that are in that nursery, pre-K or K, you need to pick them up and uh, join, join us out there. If you don't know what grade your kid's in, I don't know. <laughs> the bottom line, need to, need to pick them up if they're uh, K and down, and uh, otherwise they'll be out front. And uh, so we're going to continue in worship, and then we will gather out front. I, I would ask again, if you're staying for baptism, go ahead and just gather out on the, on the front porch. If you're not, if you just, uh, if you've got to pick up your kids, pick up your kids and then just slide out the side doors, if you would, by the cafe, that would be helpful. And uh, we'll continue with worship and prepare ourselves for a celebration.